Welcome to the weekly message from Upper Room Community Church in Vaughan. We hope that this message will help you grow in your faith and provide practical ways to strengthen your relationships. For more information, visit us at upperroom.ca. In the twentieth year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile, and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, Those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept for some days. I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Then I said, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly toward you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave your servant Moses. Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. They are your servants and your people, whom you redeem by your great strength and your mighty hand. Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this, your servant, and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. I was cupbearer to the king. This is God's word. How you guys doing? Good to be back. Well, if we haven't met yet, my name is Mark. I'm... Uh... Uh, so glad to be here. I'm actually a pastor of a church called Connection. We're about 15 minutes south of here, unless it's rush hour, then it's like two hours. Um, but we're uh, Islington and 401 area, and uh, our two churches have uh, been partnered together, and we've just been having this conversation of, hey, you know, we're both, you know, small churches in, in the community who just want to create safe environments where people who know Jesus and people who don't can draw a little bit closer to him. And so it's been really cool partnering in this series. This series, we're doing something really unique. We're not just, you know, tag teaming back and forth week after week. You know, we do part one there, then part one the next week, and, you know, staggered start. We're doing it, like, in sync, and, like, the person who preaches here then has to get in the car and, you know, hope to not hit traffic and then preach at the next church, at my church, uh, Connection. And uh, so it's been a lot of fun and uh, really tiring, but uh, really great. So we are in a series. What's it called? Old school. And so last week, I mean, I, two weeks ago, I threw out the challenge. I said, listen, let's make this a little bit more fun. So I said, you know, every speaker has to wear something old school. And Kate, what did she wear last week that was old school? Yeah. So you know what happened, actually? She, she actually had something and she forgot. So she remembered at Connection to wear it. So check this out, okay? And because I want her to, you know, as long as VJ doesn't win, I'm up for promoting the other team, okay? So this sweater is definitely from the 90s. Your grandma knit this for you. Is that right? Yeah, don't ever wear that in public. I guess, hey, you're engaged. Well, you wear it all the time, gosh. I know, it's awesome. It's awesome. Hey, well, that's good. For better or for worse, right? You got a few months left. Okay. Wow. 
So, and, and I mean, I'm still obviously leading the charge. And I mean, VJ, who knows what he's going to bring? He's just old. So, uh, but I, I brought, if you weren't here, 1989 Reebok pumps. You can see the video on the Upper Room website. I know you want to see that. Now, here's the awesome thing. This week, I just thought I'd highlight how awesome I am. Just remind you of the Reebok pumps, okay, since I'm, I'm doing two in the series. So check out what someone in my church found. Reebok pumps for my kid. Aren't these awesome? So my kid runs around in Reebok pumps. I have the Reebok pumps. So I, I just thought these were really cool. So he was hoping to be here, but his nap time is during your service, so he probably fell asleep on the ride here, and he's probably sitting in the parking lot right now. So anyways, that has nothing to do with anything. We are getting going into part three, and I'm super excited. And I got to warn you, okay? Um, today, there may be some tangents, and you may get lost, okay? And I'm like, so just get a notepad out, especially if you're like, you need to like, like hey, wait. He didn't finish that thought, and he kind of went on this. Uh, just, just, just keep track with paper. I promise I'll try and I'll try and make it all make sense at the end, okay? Some of you, this is like your dream message because you have an attention span of like three minutes, and so it's going to be like every three minutes, something new is going to be talking about, right? We're going to be like, like, what's he doing over there? It's like, it's awesome. He just keeps changing everything, okay? So that's kind of what's going to be happening today. With that said, uh, let me ask you a question. Have you ever had a moment in your life, maybe it was with your parents, maybe it was with your kids, maybe it was with a teacher, a boss, someone that you shared an idea with? You're like, this is an amazing idea. Like, mom, we should go to Disneyland. Or, hey, boss, you know, we should try one-hour breaks instead of 30-minute breaks. Whatever it was. You had an idea, you proposed it to somebody, and you wanted them to take your idea, and it's like they didn't even hear you. And then someone else comes along, delivers the exact same idea, not as eloquently, and the person's like, what a brilliant idea. Raise your hand if you've ever had that problem, ever had that situation, your sibling got listened to, you didn't, another employee got listened to, you didn't, you know, one of the parents, you know, it's like, it's like your wife can say it and everyone listens and you say it and it's like, do they not hear me? Like, do I have no influence at all in this relationship? And so this is kind of what we're going to be talking about today, this idea of influence. And let me just define influence for you very quickly. Influence is the power of a person to be a compelling force to impact people's opinions, behaviors, and actions. Okay, I don't know about you, but I want to be influential. I think you want to be influential too. You know, if you're parents, you kind of want to be influential in your kids' lives, right? You want to have a say. You want to kind of shape the direction they go. I think those of you who are married, you want to be influential in your spouse's life. You want to look back 20 years of marriage and be like, yeah, he didn't really, you know, add anything. I'm probably where I would have been if I was single. Like, that's not really the goal, right? You want to be influential in each other's lives. You want to make a difference. Maybe uh, you're single. And you'd kind of like to have some influence, some sway, you know, ask somebody out and they actually say yes. You know, other people walk into the room, you're like, you're making an appeal, like, you know, really? You know, I have a job, you know, I, I, I have my own place. Some other person walks in and they're like, hey, and all of a sudden they have a date. Like, are you kidding me? That wasn't even a word. Like, how does that work? But somehow they seem to have influence and you don't. And you're trying to figure out, like, what's the secret to influence? Maybe you're a boss and you just want your employees to listen to you. And they want you like, at least just listen to me when the owner's around, right? Like, at least make it look like I have some sort of influence with you, some sort of sway. Maybe, maybe you're a salesperson. Maybe you just, you know, you wish you had a bit more influence. People wouldn't, you know, hang up the phone, you know, close the door, whatever it is. But I think in all areas of life, there's at least one area where you'd like a little bit of influence, a little bit of sway. And so today what we're going to do is we're going to find a principle in the scriptures in the Old Testament, in the old school, that I think is going to help us with this idea of influence in kind of a, a strange way, but that's what we're going to attack and look at today. We're going to discover where to get it, okay? Now, normally when you think of influence, I mean, especially kids, you're thinking influence comes from authority, right? Your parents, they had influence. Why? Because they were an authority, and if you didn't listen, you got sent to your room, you got grounded, you didn't get your allowance, you know, you didn't get snacks before bed, whatever it was. So they had influence because they had authority. 
growing up a little bit more, your teachers had authority, right? And they had the authority, and the reason why was because if you didn't listen, what would they do? They'd send you to the office, or you get suspended, or in my case, both many times, you know. So whatever it was, that, that was the reason why they had influence, because of authority. You get a bit older, and now the police, right? The reason you slow down every time you see a police car is not because, you know, you have great respect for them or not, and whether you do or not, I don't know. I'm not speaking to that. I'm just saying it's the fact that they can give you a ticket, or they can lock you up. And so growing up, we saw that people have influence because of authority. But what we're going to discover today is that there is actually a way to have influence with absolutely no authority. In fact, the story in Scripture today of someone who had no authority who had great influence. And the reality is, is you're thinking to yourself, like, is that actually possible? But it's true, isn't it? I mean, there are people in your life who have great influence and great sway into your life who have no authority over you. There are times your parents will tell you over and over and over to do something and you kind of don't do it. And then there's that person who lives a few houses down and they say, you know what, you should really smarten up and do this. And you do it. Somehow they have influence. Or your teacher begs you and begs you and begs you to do your homework and you don't do it. But there's that teacher that you don't even have a class with and you can go and hang out with them at lunch and just ask them for life advice. That somehow it is possible to have influence even without authority. And that's what we're going to dig into today and see how that works. So uh, the story we're going to look at today is in the book of Nehemiah. So if you have your Bibles, would you turn to the book of Nehemiah? And he so excellently read chapter one, which gives us a big picture uh, of the story. And we're going to be looking at Nehemiah chapter five. It's going to be great. Okay. So Nehemiah chapter five, take your time, find, find your way there. And uh, kids, I need you. You're going to be part of telling the story in a minute. I'm going to get you to all run up here. Okay. You need to find in your package a brick. Okay. It's not an actual legit brick. It's a piece of paper that has a picture of a brick. Kids, can you dig through your bags, find a picture of a brick? Okay, great. So, Nehemiah, let me tell you a little bit of the story, and then kids are going to help me act it out, okay? Nehemiah gets bad news. He finds out that his homeland has absolutely no walls. The walls of his city, where he is originally from, has no walls, which is incredibly scary, okay? It's the equivalent of you going to bed at night, not having a front door. The breeze just blowing in. You have no idea who or what is going to come in your door, and that's exactly what it was like in the ancient world when you didn't have walls around your city. Anybody could come in, take your kids, take your spouse. They could do whatever they wanted because there were no walls in the city and you couldn't stop them. And so Nehemiah is incredibly grieved by this reality. He's terrified. He's like, how is this happening? The problem is Nehemiah can't do much because Nehemiah is a thousand miles away, which is how many kilometers, kids? The silence is deafening. Adults, help us out. Doing the math. It's very, very far away. Good. All right. So thousand miles away. He's really, really far. He can't really do much. Not only that, he's not a builder. He's not a construction guy. He's a slave, and his job as a slave is a cupbearer, which in my opinion is a terrible job, okay, because basically this is what a cupbearer does, kids. If someone were to try and poison the king, you know, maybe put something in his drink so that they could, you know, uh, kill the king, the cupbearer has to drink and eat everything before the king does, and the king just takes a moment and stares at the cupbearer, and if the cupbearer doesn't turn green and doesn't die, the king enjoys his nice meal, and if the cupbearer turns green or dies, the king passes and asks for another one and gets another slave to be his new cupbearer. So that was Nehemiah's job. I, I don't think it's a great job, but that's what Nehemiah did. And now he hears this news that his city has no walls, and he has this great burden. He wants to do something, but he has no influence. He has no sway. He has no authority. He's a slave. He's a cupbearer. What is he going to do? So he prays about it, and then he finally goes to the king. He's like, king, king, here's my dilemma. Here's what's going on. And somehow we get a glimpse of his initial bit of influence because the king says, sure, I'll let you go. And in fact, I'll make you the governor of that land. It was like an official title he gave him. He's like, you're now, you're not a slave. You're not, you're not a cupbearer anymore. You are now 
the governor of that place. And so I'm going to send you off there, and I'm going to even give you letters to help you get supplies along the way. I'll write letters with my name signed on it to really hook you up so that you can build this wall, Nehemiah. Awesome. So Nehemiah is now going to build his wall, okay? And I'll, I'll give you a sneak peek to the end of the story. He ends up, you know, gathering all the people together, and in 52 days, they build the entire wall back up. It's an incredible story. You've got to read it. It's, it's, it's a short story, um, but it's really, really good. So kids, here's what we're going to do, okay? I'm going to challenge you in a moment to come on up, and you're going to have 52 seconds to build a wall, okay? One second for every day, okay? Because they're just paper bricks, so I think that's, that's a fair equivalent, okay? So kids, come on up. Bring your paper bricks. Come right up, up here. Where do we have the tape? Yeah, come on over this side right here. Here? Yeah, this is good. Quick, 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 quick. Come on, guys. Yeah, this is going to be awesome. All right, everyone got their paper bricks? Excellent, excellent. All right, so now... Dave's going to give you some tape, so put the piece of tape on top of your brick. So get ready to stick it to the wall. Don't stick it to the wall yet. Okay, so everyone grab your piece of tape. Okay. Perfect. Okay, when you have your piece of tape in your brick, hold it over your head like you're ready to build with it. Nice. Let me see that you got it. Okay, a few more. A few more bricks coming. Nice. We're going to need those bricks. Okay. All right, guys, so here's the challenge. Come on down right over here. Come with me. Come with me. All right, everyone has their tape? Okay, guys. So just, not yet, perfect. I'll just explain what we're gonna do, and then uh, when we all have tape, we're gonna do it, okay? In a moment, I'm gonna say go, and I'm gonna start counting 52 seconds on my watch, and you're gonna just put all your paper bricks on this wall here. That's pretty easy, right? So just make it look like some sort of wall, okay? Now, I'm gonna pick uh, Tony to be our bully, okay? Tony, ooh, okay? Tony is going to try and destroy your wall. So you guys, you don't want Tony to win. You want to build this wall in 52 seconds. You know what I'm saying? Okay, but Tony is going to be taking your papers and putting them over here. He's just going to be tearing down your wall. So you guys have to work really fast, faster than Tony, to try and get your bricks back up on the wall, okay? I'm going to count you down, and if Tony takes your brick, just grab it, put it back. Take someone else's brick, put it back. Just make sure he doesn't get your bricks. You can even play defense a little bit, okay? All right, you can't hit him in the belly. Is that what you, yeah. No, 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 no. And no, yeah, no, no weapons, nothing, no, good, good. All right, here we go. On three, two, one, build that wall, build that wall, build that wall. Good building, good building. Uh-oh, brick is coming off. Oh, good, holding it, holding it, nice, that's smart. Oh, didn't hold that one. Yeah, you got it. Oh, oh, and two more down, oh boy, oh boy. Oh boy. Guys, th this isn't looking like a wall. You gotta put the bricks closer together. Bricks are too far apart. There are gaps in the wall. People are gonna get through. That's good, just stand on your wall. I love it, I love it. 10 seconds left, 10 seconds left. Okay, now let's bridge the wall together. Bring the wall together. Make it a strong wall. <laughs> no gaps in the wall, no gaps in the wall. Good, good, fight him off. Fight. Nice, I like it. Oh boy, oh boy. Five, four, three, two, one. Stop. All right, step back. Let's look at the wall. Give it up for the kids building the wall. All right, are you guys tired after that? 
Yeah, yeah. That's exactly how Nehemiah and his workers felt. Thank you. Give him another round of applause. And uh, we'll leave the wall up there for now. Okay, you can grab your bricks after. I know you destroyed him. That's good. All right. <laughs> this is what we teach you at church. Fight with your parents. Great. So kids, that was, that was kind of hard. And that was exactly what Nehemiah and his, his builders were up against. In fact, it got so hard at one point, Nehemiah's like, only use one hand for building because I want you to hold a weapon in the other. Because people were always trying to get them off the wall. People were sending letters like, hey, why don't we have coffee? Come to this town. Just come hang out with us for a little bit. Get off that wall. Nehemiah sends back a letter. He's like, I'm doing a great work. I'm not coming down. Like he's just, he's determined. He's a leader. Everyone's following. It's going really well. But then the Tony showed up, okay? And the Tony was the, there were other uh, Jews, and they were noble Jews. They were very wealthy, okay? They were wealthy, which meant power, and might meant right in that culture. And so what happened was all these builders were building this wall, but they didn't have much of an income because now they're just working on the wall to protect their families. And so they're actually living on land owned by other Jewish people who a lot of them are even related to them. And these, these, uh, these nobles are actually charging them interest on this land. And these people who are trying to build a wall to protect their own people are so poor, they end up having to sell their kids into slavery. Okay, so you just imagine, it's like, Nehemiah's like, you guys come to work, it's just like, listen, we're so broke, we had to sell our kids into slavery because these people just won't let up on the debt we owe them. And we're just paying them tons of interest, and we don't have any money. So you just imagine trying to work with a workforce that is in debt and losing money to your own people. I mean, this, this could be your cousin who's just, you know, no, no, you owe me money. Yeah, just sell your kids, that's fine, you know, you can get more, right? Like, it was just this horrible situation, and Nehemiah's like, like, I need to stop this. But the interesting thing about the governor was there were certain perks to being the governor, but authority over the rich people wasn't one of them because might meant right, and they had the money, they had the power. And so Nehemiah couldn't, you know, pull rank on them and be like, listen, I said so, you better do it. But when we pick up the story, we find that Nehemiah makes a bold demand. He says this, verse 10, chapter 5, verse 10. I and my brothers and my men are also lending the people money and grain. So Nehemiah, he was also helping the people out, but he says, let's stop charging interest, okay? Give them back immediately their fields, vineyards, olive groves, and houses, and also the interest you're charging them. 1% of the money, grain, new wine, and olive oil. To which they could tell Nehemiah, just get out of here. Just scram. You have no business telling us how to do our business. And yet, look at their response. They say this, we'll give it back, they said, and we will not demand anything more from them we will do as you say. Kind of almost imagine Nehemiah being like, give it back! And they're like, okay! And he's like, whoa, is there like a dragon behind me? Like, how, how did I have this kind of sway with you guys? And yet when you go deeper into the story, you discover that there's something that's been going on that everybody knew about Nehemiah that gave him an influence, even though he had no authority. Verse 14, moreover, from the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when I was appointed to be their governor in the land of Judah, until this 32nd year, 12 years. So for 12 years, neither I nor my brothers ate the food allotted to the governor. But the earlier governors, those preceding me, placed a heavy burden on the people and took their 40 shekels of silver from them in addition to food and wine. Their assistants also lorded over the people. What he's saying here is, is in history, whoever was the governor had the right to have some food from the people. Everyone had to give a little bit of food, a little bit of wine, a little bit of money to the governor for doing his job. But Nehemiah, for the last 12 years, has not done that. And he hasn't allowed his henchmen to do it either, because he, that's what he says. It says the governors before, their assistants would come in and be like, well, we're the assistants of the governor, so give us some food too. Yet for 12 years, not only did he not take food and wine and, and silver from the people, 
he actually would have feasts and have hundreds of people at his table to feed them. He had the right to take from them, but he didn't. And in fact, he gave from them. And so all of a sudden, here's a guy who for 12 years has lived this out, and then he calls these people out and he says, how dare you do this? There's an alignment between what Nehemiah says and what Nehemiah does that gives them something that I want to call today moral authority. It's an authority that happens when what you say and what you do line up. Moral authority often, if not always, leads to some sort of influence. When what you say and what you do line up, all of a sudden, people listen. And you know this is true. You didn't maybe call it moral authority, but in all your relationships, you refer to this principle all the time. Because when it's not there, when someone doesn't have moral authority, you call it out. Ah, oh, so-and-so said I should do this, but why would I listen to them? They're a hypocrite. They're two-faced. They're all over the place. They can't make up their mind. They say one thing, they do another. They're just full of it. You look everywhere for moral authority. And when people don't have it, we know it, and we don't listen to them. They don't have influence or sway with us. But when you have moral authority, all of a sudden, you have influence. As one person said, it's something you earn over a long period of time when there's an alignment, alignment between what you say and what you do. It takes a lifetime to gain and a moment to lose. You can't buy it at a store. You can't get it in school. It's not written on your degree. There's no quick journey to get there. There's no promotion that will give you moral authority, no title that will give you moral authority. It's influence you get when what you say and what you do line up. I think the best example I ever saw of this was in a book called Visioneering by Andy Stanley. And Andy talks about back in college, he was in a debate class. And uh, there were lots of topics. Every student had to go up and give a speech, and then you know people would argue as to whether they agreed or not. And one of the big topics that year, he says, was, was abortion. There's just tons of people talking about it on both sides, and every time someone spoke on it, arguments would break out, and people would be yelling, and how can you believe that, and how can you believe that? And then, you know, so another young woman got up, and she started the same speech, and she was against it, and so, you know, she started going on with the regular arguments, and you could just feel the tension mounting in the room. And then she went even to the, some of the cases that people were kind of flip-flopping on. She said, you know what, what about, like, in extreme cases of violence where it's not your choice, and, you know, it was a victim that's on the line, like, is it acceptable there? Like, is that, is that an option? And so she actually said, no, I don't think it's an option there either. And to which then he said, then the mood really changed, and it seemed like everybody was against her. And then at the end of her speech, after she had said she was against it, she was against it, she was against it, she pulled out a little picture of a little boy. And she told the story of a violent crime that had happened to her and the choice that she was given by doctors and how she believed that this was a life. And she shared about this young boy and how he was the greatest joy of her life. And Andy said the class was silent. Nobody argued. Nobody shouted. Nobody pushed back. Everyone just sat there, reflecting. And the teacher got up and said this, when life is lived out in an authentic way, you're more likely to have influence with people who don't agree with you. That's why Nehemiah had influence because he had moral authority. There was an alignment between what he said and what he did. And even people who don't agree with you all of a sudden take notice when they see that they may not believe what you believe, but there is no doubt in their mind that you believe what you believe. Nehemiah had moral authority. What he said and what he did lined up. 
So the bottom line is, in some ways, moral authority often, not always, but often, leads to more influence. Now here's the problem. You know this, and I know this. You know that when you actually live something out, you kind of have a little bit of influence. You can say, yeah, like, well, how do you know? It's like, well, I've lived it for 10 years. Like, oh, okay. And people pay attention when you have moral authority. But the problem is people know that. And so they make moral authority their goal because they want to leverage it to somehow use it to influence people. You see this in politics. You see this in parenting. You see this in workplaces. You see people changing things all of a sudden when so-and-so is coming around because they want to be seen as having moral authority even though they don't have it. And when you make moral authority a goal, hypocrisy comes out, it becomes all about image management, and it's usually a big disaster. In fact, I kind of wrote this idea of kind of a reflection of what we see in our culture when people aim for moral authority. It's going to be up on the screen. When moral authority is your goal, you end up with political scandals, frustrated parents, confused kids, and disillusioned congregants. You end up with political scandals because they were just like, well, you know what, I need to be able to say I've lived this, I've, you know, I believe in this, and so, you know, and all of a sudden it comes out, it's like, no, they didn't actually believe that, they were just trying to put on a front. You end up with frustrated parents because they're trying and trying to teach their kids one thing, but they're not even sure if they believe it, and so they're hiding this separate life, and then all of a sudden, you know, their kids come out and find out about it, and it's frustrating, it's tiring, it's like you feel like you're living this double life. You end up with confused kids because they're constantly hearing different messages, constantly hearing, well, you should do this, but then it's like, but you do that, and am I just supposed to do this because everyone else is doing it, and we're going to church, and you're telling me to turn down the radio, and I can't listen to that song on Sundays, but I can listen to it any other day, and I can't wear this outfit to church, but I can wear it to school, and as long as we don't see it with these people. Like, it's just this, this strange thing that when moral authority is your goal because you want influence, it's a disaster. It's a mess. So you ask the question, it's like, okay, so how, how as followers of Jesus even do we have influence when really moral authority, if that's our goal to get influence, it's just going to be about hypocrisy and image management. It's going to be a disaster. And this is the secret. Moral authority is not a goal. It's a byproduct. Moral authority is not a goal. It's a byproduct. Kids, you know that moment, you know, when you eat so much Halloween candy and you just feel, what do you feel after eating too much? awesome. No. Sick, right? You eat so much Halloween candy. I maybe, you know, I'm talking to the kids, but I do this too sometimes, right? You, you eat so much junk food, and then you're just like, uh, how many of you started eating because you wanted a stomach ache? You didn't. No, no, no. That's the byproduct. You wanted to eat because it tasted delicious, and it felt good going down, and then after that, it kind of settled, and it feels awful. Feeling awful is not the goal. It's the byproduct. The thing you need to understand about moral authority is if you make it the goal, it's going to be a disaster. It's actually a byproduct of something completely different, and we learn that from the life of Nehemiah. So let's discover how, what Nehemiah's actual goal was. Because Nehemiah didn't spend the last 10 years telling his friends, guys, don't eat the food that we technically are allowed to eat. Because in 12 years, I'm going to try and build a wall. And I want to make sure I can hold it over everybody's head that we didn't eat the food. That's not what Nehemiah did. Look at what Nehemiah says. It's fascinating. But the earlier governors, those preceding me, placed a heavy burden on the people and took 40 she shekels of silver in addition to food and wine. Their assistants lorded it over the people. He's like, that's what everyone else did. But... Out of reverence for God, I did not act like that. But out of reverence for God, I did not act like that. Nehemiah's number one desire was to honor God with his life. Nehemiah's number one desire was not to have influence, was not to have moral authority. He didn't even have categories for that. His number one thing that he was living his life for and making his decisions, the things that ended up as a byproduct of having influence and making a great leader, was just this desire to honor God with everything that he did. In fact, when you look at scripture, it's, uh, pardon me. Yeah, when you look at scripture, that's actually the theme that we find all throughout scripture. That our job as human beings in relationship with God is to actually bring honor and glory to him. In fact, in all things, we're meant to bring glory to him. Which sounds very strange, it sounds very churchy, and it's like, 
what are you talking about? So let me take a little bit of a tangent to try and explain that because we had hot seat Sunday at my church and someone asked a phenomenal question that related to this. They're like, if we're supposed to, if we exist to bring honor and glory to God, if we're supposed to orientate our entire lives around praising and worshiping God, they asked this question, they text this in, isn't God just a big egotist? Like, doesn't he just have a massive ego? I mean, imagine if your parents said, you know, they look at you and they say, I know, you know, you want to do this with your life. I know you want to play that sport, but listen, I created you and you exist to make me look good, to worship the ground I stand on. Like, can you imagine saying that to your kids? Can you imagine if your parents had said that to me? Like, I think that's what my parents actually, you know, but we're not going to dig that up now. But can you just imagine how strange that would be? And so people ask that question. They're like, you Christians talk about honoring God, worshiping God, and you're singing all these great songs. Great God. You know, you're doing all these things about how great God is, but isn't that just a big egoed God? Like, how does that help us? And so people just kind of hit the unfollow button at that point. But let me see if I can give you an example that will help you understand why that's not the case and why it's so, so, so different. Anybody here ever been to the Grand Canyon? A few people? Okay, I have a picture of the Grand Canyon up on the screen right now. I took this off Google. It's very nice, right? Yeah, I know. It's awesome. So I went to the Grand Canyon. It was awesome. Like, how many of you, you were like, whoa. Like, you honestly stand there, and it's like, you just, you can't believe that this thing's actually in front of you. I remember calling my wife. I'm like, babe. It's so beautiful. It's like a picture. Like, you, you can't even believe that it's real. And we went hiking in it. And it just, it never got old. Every day we showed up, and it was just amazing. And I was, you know, I'm showing everybody pictures, you know, the lame pictures I took. And I'm like, oh, the pictures don't do it justice. It's just so awesome. I was changed. Let me ask you a question. If I had gone there in the desert and just stayed in my hotel and never actually visited the Grand Canyon, never took pictures of it, never told anyone how great it was, would it be any less great? No. If I had made fun of it, and like, oh, the Grand Canyon, it's like this big, this is lame, right? Like, would it be any less? No, 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 no. The only thing that would actually change by me going to it is me. The only thing that changes when I go and I worship it and I stand and say, this is so beautiful, this is so amazing, it doesn't become any better. I am changed. I stand in awe of something beautiful. That's as human beings how we are. When we see something beautiful, we are transformed. We experience it, and we change. It doesn't change at all. It was awesome thousands of years ago. It was awesome before I ever visited it. It'll be awesome after millions of people go and visit it this year. When you look at the scriptures, the thing we discover that's different about God than us is the scriptures say over and over and over again, God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. He's never changing. He's perfect. And yet, he commands us over and over and over in scripture to worship and to praise him. But he doesn't change. So that means no amount of praise that we give him makes him any happier. No amount of praise makes him any bigger. No amount of making fun of him or calling him out hurts his emotions and he's kind of like less than a person. He doesn't need us. He doesn't change at all. So the only thing, the only conclusion that we can actually come to is that when we worship God, we are the ones that actually change. When we experience him, when we get to know him, when we discover how much he loves us, he doesn't change by us praising him, but we actually change change. In the same way that going to the Grand Canyon, it doesn't change it, but it changes me. When we experience God, when we worship him, we are actually better for it. When we discover perfect love in a way that we've been searching in every relationship in the world for and find it only in him, we are changed, not him. And that's why Nehemiah had God as his ultimate goal. He's like, beyond everything else, I just want to praise God. I just want to follow God. I want to do everything I can to follow follow him everywhere. And here's kind of maybe the summary of how we'd summarize what Nehemiah did. Nehemiah obeyed God and left the consequences to him. Nehemiah obeyed God and left the consequences to him. 
at that time, for those 12 years when he wasn't taking the food, he wasn't doing it because he had some game plan of, you know, I'm going to influence these people. I'm going to change these people's minds. I'm going to be a great leader. He didn't have a clue anything was going to happen. He just had this desire in him where he just wanted to get to know God more. He wanted to honor God more and experience more and more of what God had for him. And because of that, in the end, things worked out. In the end, the wall was built. In the end, it says all the nations around just stood in awe and trembled at the idea of God. Not because he was strategic in his church plan and all these things, but simply because he experienced God, saw how awesome he was, and he said, I just want to honor him with everything. I want to obey him with everything. Because Nehemiah's logic looked like this. If he holds the whole world in his hands, why would I go against him? Why would I do something like taking food from people who are struggling just because I can when he tells us to treat people who are poor with respect? Nehemiah in that moment probably was a bit hungry when he was sharing his food with hundreds of people, but he did it anyways because he wanted to honor God who was generous, and so he was generous to others. Nehemiah obeyed God and left the consequences to him. People made fun of him. People tried to take down the wall, but in the end, in the end, it worked out. So this is what I want you to remember today. Obey God and leave the consequences to him. In every arena of your life, there's a, probably an issue right now. If we pause and thought about it, there's an issue, there's a relationship, there's a moral question that you have, uh, there's an ethical decision that you're trying to make, or there's something that you're trying to figure out and you're kind of leaning one way because you want to kind of sway things or you want to influence the future in one way. And you're like, this may go against what God would probably want for me. I know what the Bible says, but what about, and you're kind of just playing with the future, playing with the future, playing with the future. And the reality is, is if you were following and learning for what Nehemiah learned, you would just obey God and leave the consequences totally up to him. You don't have control anymore. But that's when walls get built in 52 days. It's incredible to see what happens when you leave the consequences, you obey God and leave the consequences to him. Now, if you're here today and you're like not a church person, not a Christian, you're like, I exist to bring worship and glory and honor to God, right? Like, it's just, it's strange to you. And it's like, obey God. You're like, I don't even know God. And I'm just, I'm just trying to figure this out. And can I, can I just pause for a second before we close and just say, I'm, I'm so sorry. Because the reality is, is there's probably two types of religious people, probably many more, but let me just simplify it to two. You probably met religious people who were all on the image management side of things. They were trying to leverage the good that they were doing to influence people, to put on a certain image, to get certain things. And you kind of experienced that for a little bit. Maybe you ran completely away from church. And there are others of you, you maybe met people who were on the Nehemiah side of things, and they were just, it wasn't because they were trying to manage an image. They were just trying to get as close to God and as close to the center of his will as they could. And so they were just obeying him with everything and trusting him with everything. And because of that experience, you drew closer. So can I just say this, for those of you who are kind of, you're on the fence, you're figuring faith out, you're not even sure if there is a God, and if there is, do you want to follow him and do you want to follow the rules? Can I just say this, that the obedience that we see in Nehemiah came from a lifetime of understanding and seeing God move. And you're here today and you're thinking, how can I obey this God? I don't even know him. And I would just invite you to begin the journey of discovering the things that he is doing in your life. And as you discover and as you get to know him, then your obedience grows and your faith grows and you get more and more in. So let me just say, this is totally, Upper Room Community Church is totally a safe place for you to journey ask questions, explore. You're going to hear incredible stories of people sharing their life stories of times where they actually stepped out in faith and they obeyed God and left the consequences in his court. I heard a story on your podcast financially uh, from Tim Repetsky. It was phenomenal. He just obeyed God, their family, obeyed God and left the consequences completely up to him. 
And as you sit in an environment like this where you're seeing that over and over again, slowly you'll start to take risks. Slowly you'll start obeying in certain areas and you'll start, oh, maybe I'll you know, come out more regularly. Maybe I'll listen to the podcast. Maybe I'll read the scriptures a little bit. Maybe I'll trust God with this and try this out a little bit. I totally, totally invite you to do that. We want this to be a kind of environment for you. And with that said, whatever it is that you're wrestling with today, where you're wrestling with, do I really want to obey God or do I want to just try and control the future? The beautiful thing that Jesus did was before he was betrayed, he gave us this amazing gift called communion, which Tony's going to explain in a moment. And it's a memorial that he said, just do this over and over and over again to remember who I am, what I've done, because you can trust me. You can obey me and leave me with the consequences. I will not let you down. Tony. Mark had to, Mark had to run off uh, uh, right after he preached so he could make it to Connection and give the same message to them this morning just so he wouldn't miss the beginning of their service. So uh, I just have the chance to give you a blessing before you leave this morning. It was just uh, striking me as we were singing. Um, you know, just like Nehemiah um, lived out this conviction 12 years before he called others to do the same. You know, often that's true when it comes to this whole idea of influence or moral authority in other people's lives. The... the the requirement that we have to actually live out an authentic life is a long haul kind of thing when ultimately those kind of periods or opportunities we have to be a significant influencer, to be part of a significant decision to others, those moments are often few and far between, even though they're significant. But they take a long haul of living out this authentic life of faith and obedience. So what I want to bless you with this morning is a persevering faith. Even when it feels like, you know, what we were just saying, like, where you go, Jesus, I will go. You know, where you move, I will move. I just want to follow you, whether people see it or not, so that when those opportunities for you to be an influencer come, that you'll actually have a long life lived of modeling this where people can say, yes, that person has lived it, and so I will follow what they say. I want to bless you with a persevering faith in that sense. Will you receive that this morning? Amen. Amen. Yeah.